Welcome, everyone, to this episode of WP Radio. This is a podcast brought to you by the Ontario Insurance Adjusters Association. If you're part of the insurance industry and want to hear in-depth stories and industry experts, along with discussions and interviews, then this is the podcast for you. I host a monthly podcast where I feature guests on the show, get to know them better, and also find out the latest news from around the industry. I'm Terry Doherty, your host. Now let's get this show started. All right, welcome to this edition of WP Radio. I hope you enjoyed our last podcast where we had Jennifer Graham, the president of the OIAA. Uh, this podcast, uh, we're going to have on Chris Dunn from Dutton Brock. He's going to talk to us about uh, the Carnera decision and all of the uh, changes that come from it. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this podcast. All right. Uh, good morning, um, Chris. Uh, welcome to WP Radio. Thank you, Terry. It's good to be here. Uh, great. Um, just before we get started, you know, I just wanted to introduce you uh, properly. So you're Chris Dunn of Dutton Brock. You're a partner there at the firm? I am, Terry. Uh, great. So, um, you know, tell us a little bit about your background. Like, how did you get into law? Which, you know, where'd you go to school? That kind of stuff? I did my law degree at uh, Dalhousie, Terry. I finished uh, did the uh, Ivy School at Western and was looking for a bit of a, an interesting challenge at that point and got into law school and decided to head that route. I um, fell into insurance sort of naturally. I got a family of actuaries, so I had to sort of, uh, it wasn't difficult to follow along those lines. So uh, in terms of my law practice, I summered, I'm feeling a little older these days, uh, but I summered with uh, Brian Brock in 1993, got interested in this area of the law. I love litigation uh, and uh, worked the next summer with an interesting group at Castlesbrock, the insurance group at Castlesbrock and Blackwell at the time, headed up by Ian Gold and Bruce Thomas. Uh, and then I actually went out to practice in Vancouver for three years with a firm that used to be Killam White Law and Twining, now White Law Twining. Uh, and uh, migrated back east in 1998 to start again with Dutton Brock. I loved the firm. They had an opening and um, been there uh, since, made partner in uh, 2004, I think. So uh, it's been a good run, enjoying it, very much enjoying it, Terry. That's awesome. And I was just kind of looking through a bunch of your papers. You've written articles and papers, and, I mean, it goes back to 95. You've co-authored and been keynote speakers at a lot of different uh, insurance events and, and – um, just, just it just seems to go on for pages and pages. So you've been busy. Well, one of the um, I've always thought, Terry, one of the interesting things about sort of what we do, and I'm sort of another reason I'm be doing this with you here today is that um, I've always sort of been interested in the educational component of what we do. Um, I'm I'm a bit of a case law nerd, so it's always interesting to try and explain some of these things to people as I work with them on a daily basis and. Uh, try and translate them for people into simple terms that can sort of uh, um, allow others to try and understand what uh, goes on and what can be a crazy court system at times, both at the trial level and the appellate level. So I'm always, I've always been pleased to get out there, and uh, uh, I won't deny that it helps a little bit from a marketing perspective as well. But I really do enjoy the educational component of this uh, of this world I live in. Yeah, well, it, you know, you've got to market yourself. It's great. I mean, it's a, it's a, a little big world. I find insurance. I mean, there's, the, I seem the same. I see the same people, you know, year in year out. They might be at different firms, be it insurance or, or law firms, but it seems to be the same core group of people that you see all the time, right? 
I try, absolutely. There's a number of people that uh, get out there, and, and certainly we do as much as we can, and there's a number of my colleagues that do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's an enjoyable part of what we do. So, um, last year I had the pleasure of sitting in on a uh, a discussion that you gave at the OIAA conference, and then after that I asked you to turn it into a paper, which you gladly did, and it's about to be published in the WP magazine uh, coming up in the November issue. But I was hoping we could maybe have a little discussion or a chat about it. Um, it's the Canera decision. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Terry. Very familiar with it. It's obviously uh, uh, gone a long way towards sort of changing the world that we live in in terms of additional insureds. Um, it's uh, created a little bit of a battle amongst uh, the, the uh, uh, practitioners here, and the courts have been very clear about what they want to do with that area. So i uh, more than pleased to chat about it. All right, so why don't you just give me the highlights of it, and uh, so everybody kind of understands what it's about. There's going to be people on here that are listening that are auto guys or, you know, BI or AB. So why don't you just give us a bit of the background, and then I'll just fire some questions off at you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the two-second overview. I mean, Carnero uh, was a relatively straightforward concept. I mean, um, uh, the Carnero happens to have taken place in the context of a municipal claim, um, and it's where it, off, uh, where it does often happen, uh, but certainly it takes place in the commercial world as well with landlords, uh, tenants, and subcontractors and things. But it's basically the scenario where um, in a contractual, uh, there's a contractual provision that requires uh, two things often. Uh, the one is the addition of one party to the other's insurance policy is an additional insured, uh, and there's often a corresponding indemnification provision. And differentiating between the two is very important, if you want to talk about that later on, because it's two very different obligations. But right now, we're talking strictly in Carnero about the additional insured requirement. So there was uh, the, re- the municipality of Durham had a contract with Miller Paving. Uh, Carnero was injured in an accident, and uh, Zurich was the insurer for Miller Paving. Uh, the municipality said to Zurich, uh, we've got an ad- we're an additional insured on your policy. We want you to pay for our own lawyer to defend us because the allegations being made against us in the action arise out of Miller Paving's default. This was a car accident, and the allegation was um, improper road maintenance or failure to meet the standards, the provincial legislative standards for road maintenance. Um, and initially, Zurich had said no. Uh, there's independent liability on the part of the municipality, so we're not going to defend you. Um, Zurich's position as well was, we are also benefiting you by uh, you, the municipality, by defending or paving, so that's really all we're required to do. And the uh, Court of Appeal ultimately uh, determined that that wasn't enough, that a full defense was owed by a separate lawyer to the, municipal, uh, to the municipality by Zurich uh, because the municipality wasn't additional insured on the policy. And what was interesting about that was they determined it was a complete and unfettered defense as well. There was 100% duty to defend owed in any circumstances where the allegations against the municipality arise out of the operations of the uh, municipality's subcontractor, road contractor, in this place, Miller Paving. Now, what's interesting about it, Terry, was um, certainly, and where the sort of the problems have been created is, the court was really looking at your, excuse me, your standard scenario. And your standard scenario in these cases is often that the municipality does have no liability. Um, let's, let's go to the commercial context for a second and give you an example. So you're uh, a large operator, uh, your dream or your um, uh, real can or your large operator of a commercial plaza. And uh, you hire a snow removal contractor and, and a very onerous uh, snow removal contract with them that requires them to do the monitoring of the conditions, uh, to inspect on a daily basis, to have 24-hour patrols, 
uh, to remove snow and to salt and sand and basically take over the parking lot in terms of winter maintenance. In those circumstances, there really should be no liability on a Rio can or a dream or a large landlord. And it makes a lot of sense in that scenario um, to to defend um, and to order the insurer for um, the subcontractor, the snow removal contractor, to defend uh, the landlord. Why? Because the landlord would very rarely have any independent liability. And the court looks at that scenario and says, well, of course, that's exactly why they would enter into the contract, why they would want to be an additional insured on the snow removal subcontractor's con- um, uh, insurance policy. Uh, they don't want to be dragged into. They're the occupier. Clearly, the plaintiff's lawyer is going to sue the occupier, even if they don't have any liability. Uh, they're the target defendant initially until they learn who the snow removal contractor is. And the and the Rio cans of the world don't want to be dragged into those pieces of litigation where they've subcontracted out the entire winter maintenance program. Now, where it gets interesting, that's exactly the basis upon which Carnero was decided. Somebody uh, quite rightly looked at it and said, well, the whole point of this is that the municipality doesn't want to be dragged into every piece of litigation where it's subcontracted out all of the work. Where the problems arise, Terry, is that often in the municipal snow removal context, there's in the, the, this notion of independent liability isn't as transparent as it seems at the outset. The municipalities are, uh, let's take your standard uh, municipal um, uh, uh, sidewalk maintenance scenario. In those scenarios, the municipality generally calls the shots as to when the winter maintenance takes place, how it takes place, and when they go out. So you'll have a municipal subcontractor that will have added the municipality as an additional insured on its liability policy. But that snow removal subcontractor doing sidewalk work for the municipality literally has its gear ready to go, but has to wait for the phone call from the municipality to head out. And what I've learned from, uh, we, there's a number of large um, municipal subcontractors that we work for, um, especially near the end of the year when budgets are running thin, they may never get the call during a relatively modest or even a relatively significant snow out. And so in those scenarios, Terry, what happens is that this duty to defend becomes a little bit challenging because there is potentially not only independent liability, but full liability on the part of the municipality for having failed to call out the snow removal contractor. And it's in those scenarios where it becomes really frustrating because Carnero basically requires a full defense for a party that might have the lion's share of the full liability um, at the end of the day to the plaintiff for having failed to call out the subcontractor to clear the roads. So anyway, rambled on a little bit there, but that's basically in a nutshell what Carnero stands for and what it, where the roots of it lie. So when you look at Canero, um, that decision, that Miller paving, were they actually a snow removal contractor in that context? That's exactly what it was? Yeah, exactly. Miller paving was the, you see the Miller paving trucks out on the highway. They're the ones that do the large uh, municipal maintenance on uh, highways and side roads. Okay. So if you take that for its face value then, uh, and then you, you start to break it down a little. So the municipality, what if they... Um, you know, there there's things that the municipality on their side that they failed to do. Now, um, in giving their defense, if the municipality is going to be held liable for some of their own problems or issues, um, you know, would would you not break the two defenses up and then you can at least cross-claim against them? Well, exactly, Terry. You've hit on the scenario. So, and this is this is what confronts anybody, uh, any of the liability uh, claims adjusters who are dealing with these scenarios is that the way Carnero worked was uh, particularly with the conflict, or the apparent conflict, because you hit the nail on the head in that the municipality wants to point its finger at its subcontractor, and its subcontractors, they believe they've done nothing wrong. 
uh, wants to point the finger at the municipality and say, hey, listen, we had our equipment uh, at the gate ready to go at 9 a.m., and we didn't get the call until 4.30, and this person slipped at 3.30. If we'd been called at 9, we would have done our job. And that's what Carnero basically allows you to do, is it didn't, it's why it gets so expensive. The, they do maintain separate defense counsel for the municipality and the uh, show removal subcontractor, allowing them to cross-claim against each other. But in the Carnero scenario, 100% of the defense costs of the subcontractor are paid by the ins liability insurer for the subcontractor, and 100% of the defense costs for the municipality are covered by the liability insurance contractor's liability insurer. So what you get is a scenario where the liability insurer, liability insurer for the subcontractor is paying 200% of defense costs. They're basically funding the municipality's fight against their own named insured, but sadly, that's what they've agreed to do by taking on the additional insured on the contract. Now, is there anything that may be coming down the pipe where it basically says, you know, to the degree of liability you're found, you'll have to refund that liability insurer, so to make it kind of a more even playing field, or are we at a situation right now where it doesn't matter, liability insurers picking up 200% regardless of the fault found on the, the municipality? That's it's the perfect question, Terry, and it's the one that is yet to be answered. And I'll, I'll give you the two scenarios. And the reason, listen, I've, I've been tried to be, I've, I've tried as a coverage lawyer to be very bullish for my clients and, and let them know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But that hasn't been decided yet because uh, I, I certainly know that there are a lot of uh, liability adjusters and even senior management on the claim side that have this uh, absolute belief that you can go forward, you'll pay your 200% of defense costs, and in the event it turns out that the municipality was liable, you'll recover those defense costs at the end of the day. But that's not a guarantee because because the problem is when you look at what the duty to defend is, the duty to defend is retro, uh, prospective looking, not retrospective looking. So basically what the court says in the duty to defend is the pleadings that are out there uh, allege a certain scenario, and those pleadings govern the duty to defend, and depending on what's in the pleadings, in the, in the Carnero scenario, the pleadings allege that the municipality is liable for failing to clear the roads, and the clearing of the roads is subcontractor to subcontractor. So the pleadings give rise to that Carnero duty to defend on the part of the liability insurer for the subcontractor to the municipality. So there is absolutely every possibility at the end of the day, if the court looks at fundamentally what the duty to defend is, that they could hold that you don't get your money back because there always was a duty to defend. What you get, however, is, is obviously if your snow removal contractor has no liability, if there's a, a $500,000 judgment in favor of the plaintiff, it's going to be paid by the liability insurers for the municipality because the municipality is ultimately held liable. But as I said, there's, there's, there's no, uh, no decision on point yet, and I'm a little bit concerned moving forward that there is this scenario under which those defense costs are simply not recoverable uh, due to the nature of what the duty to defend is. This episode is brought to you by Davis Martindale, the accountants with personality, the experts you need for preparing your SABS loss quantification, economic loss claims, and commercial insurance losses. We provide the quality, timely services insurers need. Check out our services at www.davismartindale.com. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, these are weird times or like with, with dealing with these. I mean, um, I, I, I've I've read the Carnero decision and 
and, and it just strikes me as pretty odd that, you know, that the municipality wouldn't have some type of agreement that, you know, they would carry on their own council. And I, and I guess it's, they would be brought into every action. So I understand the, the cost implica- implications of it, but, um, it, it just strikes me as odd that there wouldn't be something. So at the end of the day, if they do get found liable and, you know, they get the ra- the wrong judgment that they'd be open to, you know, that hundred percent exposure on both sides. You would think so, but it has a lot to do again, Terry, with what the duty to defend is. And, and the, the recovery of defense costs at the end of the day sometimes has to do with the work that's done versus the allegations that are being made. But um, the reality is it all comes about from the fact that the municipalities and the real cans and the dreams of the world have the power to impose on their subcontractors these additional insured and indemnification agreements that are extremely onerous. Um, I, I already argued a case in the Court of Appeal uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, um, which confirmed that uh, it, it, you can actually, if the contract calls for it, you can actually foist off your own independent negligence on uh, another party. So, it, so I, I'm, in some sense, we can almost consider ourselves lucky that the agreements. Uh, I guess I always see myself on the liability insurer side rather than the municipality side. So when I say lucky, I'm sort of coming at it with a bit of a jaundiced eye of, of, from my own perspective. But the reality is, liability insurer's perspective, you could almost consider yourself lucky to some degree that the contracts haven't gone as far as they can because uh, the case called Current City of Peterborough uh, was the sort of the root decision of, uh, of the concept of when I hit the Court of Appeal in a, in a golf cart uh, liability case. Um, the, the contract can, if you word it correctly, require another party to pick up your own independent negligence. Now, that wouldn't be covered by the CDL policy because of some changes they made back in 05, but it's, it's, it, it really is interesting to know that I can literally enter it. I could enter it into a contract with you, Terry, and as long as you're willing to agree to it, you can agree to assume my defense and indemnity in any circumstances, including circumstances where I'm independently negligent. And, and, and are we seeing these contracts more and more? Um, I, uh, thankfully, no. They still seem to be the standard municipal contracts that say, and again, some of the municipal contracts seem to be quite fair. Um, and, and in the construction context, the Canadian, uh, the CCDC, the Standard Form Construction Contract, has what seems to be a very fair indemnification provision as well that says, um, if you're held liable as a result of my default to the owner, says to the contractor, if, the, if you, Mr. Contractor, are held liable as a result of my negligence, I'll hold you harmless and indemnify you. And if I'm held liable as a result of your default, you'll hold me harmless and indemnify me. It's kind of, you know, the old man handshake agreement, right? You know, if I'm it's wrong, be, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. If you're wrong, you take care of it, right? Absolutely. So, so most of the contracts, the good news is these sort of onerous um, uh, you'll cover my negligence uh, uh, contracts aren't real. I haven't seen a ton of them out there, but the notion or the, the knowledge that you can do that is problematic because what happens with municipalities and the Rio cans and everybody else. So let's let's, let's look at the scenario. Um, you run a mom and pop shop uh, 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 snow removal business. You've got your landscaping business during the summer, cutting lawns and uh, uh, trimming trees and bushes, and you got your uh, three trucks and your 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 nine staff during the winter that want to make up uh, you don't want to you don't want downtime so you're running around looking for uh, uh, winter maintenance contracts and you get uh, one big contract and a real can says to you listen we want you dedicated to our four properties let's make it in the Kingston area we want you dedicated to our four large properties in the Kingston area it's almost a Walmart scenario the uh, the mom and pop shop says absolutely I'd love that that's that's our uh, 
uh, uh, uh, absolute dream scenario, one contract, uh, one job all winter. But how much power do you think um, uh, Rio Can is going to have in those circumstances to impose a contract on the uh, snow removal subcontractor? Doubt the snow removal subcontractor even read the contract, save and accept to the extent that they need to give Rio Can a certificate of insurance. Um, but in those in that scenario, uh, a Rio Can is going to be able to impose whatever contractual terms they want on the snow removal subcontractor, including one if they wanted to, uh, that included indemnification in circumstances of their own negligence. Now. Like you said, thankfully we're not seeing these more and more. Now, um, what if you decided that instead of giving separate counsel, you wouldn't cross-claim and then just carry or maintain a combined defense? Are you seeing that as well? Yes. Now, there is a case, Terry, called Jew in the city of Markham, which is uh, Z-H-O-U, uh, which confirmed that once you do that, you can't go back. That's sort of the old, uh, you're down that road and you can't turn around. Uh, the bridge washes out behind you. In June, in the city of Markham, um, they had uh, the subcontractor had agreed to pick up Markham's defense. They went to discoveries, and the set of facts came out. It appears uh, that looked like the there might be independent liability on the part of the municipality. They then tried to backtrack and wrote the municipality and said, "Oh, something's come up. Looks like you might be independently liable. You're going to now have to retain your own counsel." They went. Municipality went to court. The city of Markham went to court uh, for an order requiring. Uh, the liability insurer to continue in the defense and to indemnify them, and was they were successful. And what the court said in that scenario is, once you've agreed, because of the conflict, you've got to maintain separate counsel. If you've agreed to use one counsel to defend both, you've now shot your bolt, so to speak. Um, and uh, because you're now defending both, you have one lawyer who's knowledgeable about all of the information with respect to both defendants. That's a full and utter commitment to indemnify. And so <clears throat> in that scenario, what that means is it's extremely important for adjusters up front to assess the liability situation. If, if you're going, the bottom line is if you're going to fight the fight and you're going to spend all this money on defense costs, you better be pretty clear that there's an independent liability at the end of the day or that the dollar value of the case warrants the fight. Um, and I say that because it's a situation where you're going to be spending defense costs. You may not get those defense costs back. And if it turns out that the municipality's got no liability at the end of the day, it's a complete and total waste of money. You were far better off to have assessed the liability situation up front, said, listen, um, uh, if anyone's liable here, it's our snow removal contractor, but we think they did a good job. But certainly there's nothing independent on the part of the, let's say, the property owner or the um, uh, municipality that warrants all of this great fight on defense and two lawyers and a big battle royale over discoveries and everything else. If, you're, if, the, if there's no independent liability at the end of the day. So it's got to be assessed clearly up front. And if there's, any, if there's no risk uh, or no chance of hitting the municipality or the independent, or, sorry, um, uh, or the property owner with independent liability, don't waste your time. Assume their defense right out of the gate and shut the file down from their side. Now, could you do it the other way, though, and assign separate counsel until discoveries are done and then make the decision? Because, again... Like you said, sometimes you don't get all that information. So you're not down the road of trial yet and incurring the two trial lawyers and all the buildup towards that. But, I mean, if you can get, you know, early discoveries on it and, you know, exchange of documents, is that a viable issue as well? Like maybe just maintaining two separate counsel for the interim with the possibility of then making a joint defense? 
Absolutely, absolutely. It's one of the best options out there because, again, the discovery process. I mean, if you think about what you're doing leading up to the discovery process, it's um, a statement of defense and cross-claim. It's exchange of documents, which in a stone removal case uh, aren't uh, generally dramatic, and it's an examination for discovery. It's not an inexpensive process, but it's certainly, um, I, I mean, you would be thinking if you've got reasonably priced insurance counsel, uh, and uh, myself included, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, we would be able to get to a discovery or through that process for sort of in the seven to ten thousand dollar range. And you're right that, in a, particularly in a case where the injuries are relatively serious, that's the other thing to remember. Bear in mind that you're dealing with a plaintiff too, so so the insurer, the, the claims adjusting brain has to function uh, on all levels and be looking at all scenarios. If you've got a twisted ankle, you might look at it very differently than if you've got a. Uh, a uh, serious fracture or quadriplegia or some sort of a serious incident, a small amount of money sent, spent up front to fight the liar or to determine the liability situation is money well spent. But again, in a minor injury case, it may not. But you're, you're bang on. You can ab- There's nothing wrong um, with going through the discovery process with two separate lawyers, reassessing after the discovery process is complete. And you may, and let's say you go through the discovery process and you learn that there really isn't any, uh, there was some smoke, but there isn't any fire. There's no independent liability in the party municipality. Uh, I can't imagine in those, that scenario where you approach the municipality afterwards and said, okay, now we're prepared to assume your defense uh, and take it over. Um, particularly where you, where you, the liability insurer, so the subcontractor had been paying the defense of the municipality. The municipality is not out of pocket any money, uh, and they would gladly, uh, I can't imagine a scenario in which they wouldn't agree to let you assume their defense and indemnify them following discoveries. Yeah, so be, basically at that point you're disagreeing that, you know, we're, we're really just getting rid of, you know, one key player, and we feel that, you know, liability is going to rest with us anyway. Why, in, why incur that, you know, double the defense? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's really interesting. I mean, that's uh, that's a lot of information in in twenty minutes or so. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important for everybody to kind of to learn all these different cases. And you know, um, where can they get this information from you, or you know, how can they reach you if they wanted to reach out and talk with you, or set something up to come and have you speak, or how do they get in touch with you, Chris? Well, uh, Jerry, as I said, I mean, one of the things one of the the things I enjoy doing is uh, we do get out with our own clients and uh, and to uh, the OIAA and I'll, I'll sort of. Oh, I think we lost you. Duttonbrock. Oh no! And I've sort of always sort of always prided myself as a years have gone by. I, I'll take any phone call. I like uh, uh, discussing this stuff. It's funny you should say this is interesting. It's interesting in the insurance world. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting in the larger picture is what prompted um, uh, John Lennon to write Imagine, but in our own world, <laughs> we yeah. have to live with what we find Yeah, I don't know what happened there, Chris, but you fell off for a couple of seconds, so I, I got your, it's Chris, it, and then it just fell off. So if you want to give me oh, back. Sorry, let me let me try that again. So it's, uh, as I was saying, we're, I'm, I'm available at cdunn, C-D-U-N-N, at duttonbrock, all one word, dot com. Uh, and I'm always pleased to hear from anybody in the industry if they want to make a quick phone call and answer any questions. I, uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't mind getting back and chatting, and we do it with our own clients. But I also, uh, at large, if anybody's got any questions, I'm always open for an email or a, a phone call. Yeah, and you're willing to come and speak to a group of people, be it you know uh, um, a mutual or you know a group of claims adjusters or even one of the associations like Thousand Islands or Corthas. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I got a crazy rock and roll quality rider that goes along with it. No, uh, no brown M&Ms and, uh, and uh, <laughs> a bottle of public comfort. But uh, you, meet, you, could, you, could, you sign off on my rider, I'll talk anywhere. Excellent. Okay, well, you know, thanks for coming on this morning. I really appreciate it. And uh, everyone else out there, I mean, uh, look for Chris's article. It's in the uh, November issue of WP Magazine. And thanks for your time today. Glad to be there, Terry. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. All right. Thanks again out to Chris Dunn for uh, joining us on this edition of WP Radio. Um, glad we had him. And uh, don't forget, folks, to uh, check out the WP Magazine without prejudice. It's going to be online in November. And we um, look forward to doing our next podcast next month. So listen up and uh, we'll see you soon. Are you an insurance adjuster actively adjusting claims? If so, we want you. The OIAA is a professional organization currently consisting of 1,800 claims professionals with its main focus on education, networking, and knowledge. We promote and maintain a high standard of ethics among insurance claims professionals. We work together with government departments and officials, governing bodies, members of other organizations, insurance companies, associations and fraternities, as well as the general public in matters connected with the business of insurance and insurance claims. We recognize the value of networking for education, advocacy, advancing professional standards, and offering mutual support. We provide networking, professional development, inside industry news, and support to insurance adjusters across Ontario. By joining our network of active and associate members, you receive a direct introduction to other members, our Without Prejudice magazine delivered to your door, discounts for all social and professional development events, knowledge from mixing with seasoned, experienced adjusters and with new up-and-coming professionals, and satisfaction knowing that you are an active participant in shaping claims adjustment and risk management services in Ontario. Most compelling of all is the price. Just for $50 a year plus HST, the value far outweighs the fee. Can you afford not to join us? Please visit our website to become a member and to review our calendar of events at www.oiaa.com.